0: Amen, and good morning once again, church. I am so glad you are here. How about that testimony, huh? Oh, my goodness. Matt Berry, handsome guy, don't you think? (laughs) I don't know what it is exactly. I just, I think, really fine-looking man, awesome testimony. You know, one of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons we love testimonies in this church. One of them is because it reminds us We've all got a story, and everybody around you has got a story. Sometimes that we have no idea what we are moving through, how God is working in our lives. Um, for my part, the tiny little bit of my story um, that I'm going to share this morning is that um, I'm now about, I think, a midway through my seventh year as a senior pastor here at Medway Community Church. And uh, for every one of those Sundays, I have been a 30-something until now. (laughs) I may have alluded to this once or twice in recent weeks. You know, many of you, on your 40th birthday, you embraced it. Some of you, I know, on your 40th birthday, you were depressed by it. Listen, for a pastor, this is the sweet spot This is great. I am not so old as to be completely out of touch, but I'm now old enough. Some of you begin to imagine, I actually know what I'm talking about, (laughs) which admittedly is debatable at best. Those of you who are a bit older know when you're 20, you worry what everybody is thinking about you. By the time you're 40, you stop caring what everybody is thinking about you. And when you hit 60, you realize nobody was ever thinking about you. With a bit more more reflection than that, the poet Donald Justice wrote, Men at 40 learn to close softly the doors to rooms they will not be coming back to. And that rings true, right? I'm thinking about that, maybe just a tad more now. Um, Every fireside game night night, with the family, uh, the Christmas mornings, with still little girls, men at 40, learn to close softly the doors to rooms they will not be coming back to. And I think that along those lines, this has got to be one of the best things about Christmas that we have you know, built into our calendars, right? This annual rhythm of coming back to this same room, as it were. Um, This idea of the incarnation, which is the fancy doctrinal term for the reality that God became man. God clothed himself with humanity. God literally came down a birth canal. This God who is able is born in a stable, and the angels sing. Um, Of course, when you're a preacher, this annual regular rhythm, this pattern of returning to the Christmas event every single December means that we like to find at least one or two uh, Christmassy passages to preach on, and uh, there's plenty to be had, but they're not an infinite supply in the Bible. Um, So this morning, we're going to go to a Christmas chapter, but perhaps not immediately an obvious Christmas chapter. Text Uh, Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles this morning. Matthew chapter 1. Whenever you you read the Christmas story, whenever you hear the Christmas story preached from Matthew 1, it almost always starts at verse 18. Um, And indeed, that is where we're going to be on Christmas Eve, if you come at least to the candlelight service on Christmas Eve later this week. But you remember, don't you, how Paul wrote to Timothy and he said all of scripture is god breathed all of scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness and presumably when paul said that to Timothy he was talking even about the boring parts and this first section of Matthew 1 is definitely boring <laughs> at least On the surface, Um, this is one of the begat passages. It's a genealogy. Um, It's a bunch of names we just don't know. um, It's just a prologue that we kind of got to suffer through before we get to the interesting stuff. But consider most of you this year, once again, have probably put up the family Christmas tree. What we have here of our Savior is his Christmas family tree Um, I'm actually not going to read from the ESV which is the translation in the pews and and probably the majority of you um, have on your laps Um, I'm going to read from the King James just 17 verses of names just 17 verses of names okay did you have your caffeine are you are you going to stay awake for me here Matthew 1 beginning at verse 1 this too is the very word of our Lord the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, from the King James. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon, <laughs> Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiad, Abiad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Eliad. Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Maton, and Maton begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So, all the generations, from Abraham to David, are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, dot, dot, dot. We'll stop there. Thus ends the reading of God's word. We've read it. We probably ought to pray over it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we've already sung of your glory and your work. We've already heard from the mouth of one of our own members of your work in his life and his family's life. And now we pray, give us a glimpse, give us some kind of understanding of your work down through history and its relevance in Medway in the year 2016. Lord, speak to our own hearts the way we need to hear it this morning and make us the church you want us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's people said, amen. All right, you guys still with me? Still awake? Um, I don't know if there's a right way to preach a genealogy, um, but I chose it, so I've got to figure out a way to deliver it, so I'm going to do it this way. Um, I'm going to give you one sentence, and this will just then be the framework for the rest of the sermon. One sentence, in God's good time, he stepped into history to give rest to the weary. In God's good time, that's point number one, he stepped into history, that's point number two, to give rest to the weary to the weary. That's number three. This is actually a, a remarkable set of 17 verses because in ancient, in ancient times, histories were pretty much only written by hired historians. Um, Most of our ancient world histories that we have today, either the very, very few kind of uh, broken extant ones or the ones that have come down and copied and copied and copied over the ages from all kinds of different points in world history, most of these were commissioned right by either like really um, famous military generals or wealthy kings or powerful emperors. Um, And of course, they paid for and had histories written that made them look good. Um, They, you know, would make a big deal of military victories and then naturally kind of downplay the defeats. They would um, speak in glowing terms of uh, the successful children that who came after them and then typically just like ignore altogether the, the less significant children But this, on your lap, is a genealogy of ancestors, not descendants, and it's not nearly so polished. Um, This set of begats has all kinds of people that you ought to leave out. (laughs) It's not an exhaustive genealogy, which to me is even more interesting, because the folks that they leave in the not exhaustive genealogy are folks who were a mess. They are undesirable. Many of them. For the family tree. These are the, these are the ones you have at Christmas dinner. And they just make it awkward. <laughs> and so right from the get go. What's going on here? You've got Matthew. Remember tax collector. Now turned disciple. Penning this book. And he's dropping down huge splotches of amazing grace. Right on the first page. Of the New Testament. And once you have eyes to see that, it slowly begins to come into focus that Christmas means Jesus can stand with sinners because he came from sinners. And that's an important thing. He also came, like our first point here, in God's good. Time The the very first thing that jumps out of the genealogy when you start reading through it, if you're still at the the 10,000-foot level, is that you cannot judge God by your calendar. (laughs) Um, Bethlehem has a lot of things to say, and one of those things is this. You cannot judge God by your own calendar. If you look at that very first begat, um, or in the ESV, it it says father of Abraham begat Isaac. (laughs) You remember how that happened? It didn't go smoothly. (laughs) You got Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and the whole thing. Yet God had promised Abraham by grace alone, hey, not because of anything in you, but because of me. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And your descendants are going to number like the what? Stars in the heavens. And then later, they're going to number like the... Grains of sand upon the seashore. Abraham and Sarah, though, you know, God promised it. But Abraham and Sarah, they were old, old, old when God finally delivered it. And then it's not for another 2,000 years with her belly growing big when, when Mary now, Luke chapter 1, is singing the Magnificat and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord in remembrance of His mercy to Abraham. 2,000 years we waited in God's good time. And So I want to say that to you, folks. You cannot judge God by your calendar. I don't know what you're waiting on. Well, I know what some of you are waiting on because you, you shared it with me. But whatever it is you're praying through this winter, can I just remind you of this? Right out of Matthew 1, God is rarely early, but he's never late. God is, I've learned this in my own life. God is rarely early, but he is never late. In God's good time and then second header, he stepped into history. This is a vital point and I do not want to assume in a room uh, with this many people that we're all starting on the exact same page. Um, So I want to be kind of explicit about this one. Uh, At the conclusion of this genealogy, verse 18, we move into the birth narrative which does not begin once upon a time. Rather, it says now. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. God stepped into history. He'd been in history before. He'd put it in his hand into history numerous times. But now in a completely new kind of way, he clothed himself with humanity and he stepped into history. So is this whole Christmas event, the incarnation, a myth? Yes. It's a myth. But it's a myth that became fact. And before you start sending your emails to me, (laughs) I'm actually, I'm using a phrase that C.S. Lewis wrote in a book called God and the Dock. It's an apologetic like a lot of his writings were. Um, See, Jesus became part of history, he argues. For real. It happened. Myth became Fact. C.S. Lewis, he says, the old myths, they're not true, but they speak of what is real. For instance, fairy tales. They sometimes, with striking accuracy, they talk about human systems and human nature and our deepest longings and moral absolutes. Um, Tim Keller, he points, for instance, to Beauty and the Beast, uh, which I think is going to be a live-action movie this uh, coming year, and it's going to make a truckload of money, and I'm going to have to go suffer through it with my little girls. Beauty and the Beast is not true, but it is real. It speaks that there is a love that is so powerful, it can make even the ugly... Beautiful. It can transform us and free us. Sleeping Beauty it speaks of how death isn't really death; it's sleep, and there is one who can wake us—not with a kiss, but a crucifixion. Peter Pan—it's a myth; it's not true, but it's real. It tells us how we aren't meant to grow old and decay and die. We were meant to fly. Folks, through Christmas, we learned that in God's good time, he really stepped into history. Myth became fact. C.S. Lewis writes, Myth is the mountain whence all the different streams arise, which become truths down here in the valley. Now, as myth transcends thought, incarnation transcends myth. It happens. At a particular date, in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. We pass to a historical person crucified. Do you, do you get it? That we cannot leave the Christ child at the level of fairy tale. And I'm well aware many of our friends and our, our beloved and our coworkers, they're going to walk in here on Christmas night and they're going to enjoy kind of the, the singing or, and the candles or the, the whatever. And they're, it's at the level of fairy tale for them. And I just, I'm hoping I can be clear that night and I'm hoping I can be clear this morning. We cannot leave Christ at the level of fairy tale. The Bible doesn't leave that option open to us. Instead, we get an entire genealogy, a long, boring, 17-verse genealogy. Why? To ground this as historical fact that Christmas Sings, Jesus came for sinners because he came from sinners. I mean, we're not even out of verse 2 yet. (laughs) And we got Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. Do you remember how Jacob begot Judah? Well, to get there, Jacob swindled his brother. He stole from his father. He fractured his family. He met the love of his life named Rachel. He ripped off her dad. And from that line comes the Messiah. And the very existence of Judah speaks of Jacob blowing his life apart and God didn't revert to plan B. There is no plan B. You come in here and maybe you've thought to yourself, I blew my life apart. My friend, your life is not a mistake. In Christ Your mistakes give life because they're redeemed. Even our worst failings are redeemed by the blood of our Savior. So, you see, if you don't know these Old Testament stories, you really need to get on the stick here. Get yourself a a read-the-Bible-in-a-year plan and resolve to do it. (laughs) Beginning January one. Just just do it. Because these names and these individuals, you know, Jacob and, and Judah and Tamar, and you say, man, I don't know who these people are. Okay, there's no judgment here. But please don't get to Christmas 2017 and still be saying, I don't know who these people are. These are important names. These people remind us that the messy people are not in spite of the story. They're the whole reason for the story. Christmas is singing out every single December that Jesus came for sinners and Jesus came from sinners. And that's where our last point takes us. In God's good time, he stepped into history to give rest to the weary. If, you're, if you drop your eyes to the end of this morning's passage, it does a summary of all these generations, right? You get three triads I don't know if that's right. You get a triad of 14. From Abraham to David, 14 generations. David to the exile in Babylon, 14 generations. And then from Babylon to Bethlehem, another 14 generations. And then Christ is born. Now, this list, 14, 14, 14, is not actually all the generations. We know that. Matthew knew that. It's, not, it's just not an exhaustive genealogy. There's lots of places in the Bible that they're not exhaustive genealogies. They just kind of compress them down. That's what he does here. Um, you read a modern translation like the ESV or the NIV, and it sounds like each of these guys is the direct father of the guy who that's why I read out of the King James, um, because that old-fashioned word, begot, um, it's from the Greek geneo, obviously that's where we get genealogy, and it literally translates out like ancestor of. So Matthew, he telescopes down to use somebody else's word, or or he pulls out different generations. He leaves these in here to get to three groupings of 14 generations. Or six sevens? You with me? Three fourteens, six sevens. Why? Okay. Now, I'm not the guy who like does the Bible codes thing. <laughs> you know, like, I just honestly, I think that stuff's silly. I think there's very little use to it. I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to be graphing out the Hebrew numbers for you and you know the blood moon and the whole thing. But this one, it is a little bit on the nose, after six groups of seven, we get to Christ. After six groups of seven, we get to Christ. In other words, he's the ultimate seven. He's the ultimate Sabbath rest. You know, seven, kind of an important number. Seventh day God rested and all of that. And then I think Hebrews 4, in Christ, quote, there remains a Sabbath rest For the people of God. By faith in Christ, we don't have to work to earn God's favor. Or Romans 4 Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Yet, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Folks, this is good news. Matthew's trying to say right here from the get-go Jesus is rest. Not that that regular weekly rest but then you still got to go to work on Monday. Jesus is the rest where all of our hopes are found. Jesus is rest for the weary, the broken, the outsiders and goodness gracious there's a lot of outsiders when you start to work through this genealogy. I mean you got women? Five of them, that alone, for women to be included in this list, I mean, that's significant. They had no standing in society. And then you start to take a look at who these actual, like the specific women are. Tamar, (laughs) a good bit of her story I can't even describe with sixth graders in the room. She was a mess. Suffice it to say, she was a sexually immoral person. Who manipulated another very sexually immoral person who happened to be her father in law? And they're both included on the list. Or how about Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute? Or Ruth, well, she's refreshing because she was a virtuous woman, but like Rahab, not a Jew, she's a Moabite you would begin to think, Matthew, he's not trying to hide the fact. He's actually spotlighting the fact that this alleged Messiah, his bloodline isn't pure. has <gasps> been polluted by all kinds of Gentiles. Or how about the fourth woman? End of verse six. Oh, her name isn't even listed. Who is it? Yeah, we know. Bathsheba. <laughs> Why isn't her name listed in there? I mean, it's not because Matthew's afraid to name women, obviously. It's a dig at David, right? Great King David who, gave, who, who, who begot great King Solomon, but to do so, he used another man's wife. He stole from another man, then he sent that man to the front lines so he would die so he could complete the theft. I mean, <laughs> we haven't even started on the rest of the kings like Rehoboam and Joram. I mean, why are these 17 verses in here? Men, women, Jews, Gentiles, sinners. You got incest, you got paganism. You got prostitution, adultery, murder. Christmas proclaims. And Matthew's gonna unpack it over these next 28 chapters of his book that anybody can receive the grace of God. God in the manger. God in the manure. God with us. Christmas sings that Jesus can stand with sinners because he came from sinners and you understand then, jesus was born in a stable to hang on a tree and by that death on a tree he says come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest not temporary ultimate permanent forever and ever rest Christ is not ashamed of you. He welcomes you. If Christmas means anything, it means that wealth and status and position and pedigree mean nothing at all. And I know how it goes. Someone argues to themselves, I I just can't see how God would receive me. I mean, I don't know that he could look past dot, dot, dot. And Matthew, he steps in here in chapter one. And he says, well, hold on there. I don't want to cut you off, but isn't that Bathsheba who just walked in the door? And she says, you all know what I took part in, right? Or, or look, here comes Ruth into the room. And she says, I, I was a Moabite. An enemy of God's people. But the Lord didn't disqualify me. And then it says, oh, who else walked into the room? That's Judah. Isn't he a piece of work? And Judah says, I did horrible things with my daughter-in-law. And God redeemed me still. And then coming in the door, isn't that Rahab? Rahab? She says, You know, I, I lived the life of a heathen and a whore, but I found mercy beneath the wings of Israel's God. My friends, why am I preaching a genealogy? Because if these are the kind of people Jesus had in his family tree, do you think he'll be ashamed to have them in his congregation? Matt said it this morning. This isn't a hotel for saints. May this never be a hotel for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And that King David, who did so many boneheaded things, elsewhere he wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Remember Psalm 103 there? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I hope it's a good holiday week for you guys. I don't know where your travels will take you this week and I certainly don't know where they'll take you in the year to come. But rest in this, beloved. Christmas sings every year. Jesus can stand with sinners because Jesus came from sinners. mercy Thank you for joining us for today's message Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship And also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org We look forward to seeing you soon Washing all my shame